0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside Physician Recruiting. My guest today is Matt Young with All Star Healthcare Solutions. Matt is also the current president of NALTO. So excited to chat with him about both of those things. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into your your current position with NALTO, I'm always curious how people got started in this industry. So what, what was your entry into the physician staffing world? Yeah, and uh, quite frankly, it's not the
1: sexiest of answers, but uh, <laughs> really by accident, Jerry. It, a matter of fact, I had a close friend of mine who's now my business partner and CEO of All-Star Healthcare Solutions, Keith Shattuck. We had actually grown up together in central Massachusetts. We actually went to rival high schools, didn't know each other in high school, but became friends in college. And uh, we had met, ironically, at the, uh, my aunt and uncle's pizza place. Uh, while we were both in college, earning some money on the side. And um, he had some family in Florida and kind of moved down here to finish his degree at FAU, which is down here in Boca. And um, I finished my degree in Massachusetts. I had an older sibling who was an attorney. I was going to follow that route, took my LSATs, did all of that fun stuff, and um, ended up deciding to move to Florida and was going to joined the police academy and um I would have made a terrible cop so it actually kind of worked out uh but um in the meantime while I was going through that process Keith had been a friend for years and said hey I'm doing this thing and it's kind of like a sports agent for talented doctors that travel and help out patients and you know you take care of their travel you know the company takes care of their malpractice and it's fulfilling work and I think you know I think you'd be good at it and I said well I got a year before I'd go into the academy anyway and so i joined um uh who's a friendly competitor now weatherby healthcare in in fort lauderdale and uh so i got in it and uh as the year kind of gone on um i I, it was something i was you know fairly good at i should say and uh, i enjoyed the industry i enjoyed the um trajectory of the industry and working with physicians and hospitals and um i decided to make a career out of it and here we are two decades later uh it seems like yesterday, as the old cliche goes, but that's kind of how I got introduced, really, through a friend. And um, I've stuck with it, and it's been very rewarding.
0: That's an interesting simile. I've, I've never heard locums or staffing referred to as being a sports agent or an agent. And if you think about it, it's essentially the same thing, right? So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, back in those days, Jerry, it was it was one of those you, you started on the um, – a uh, physician at the time, obviously, the provider scope is widened, and, and NALTO, as an example, represents organizations that do MPs, PAs, CRNAs, uh, and, and such. But back in those days, you kind of started on a desk, and you would be speaking to the provider side only And um, you know, before you spoke to hospitals and clients, clinics, et cetera. So that's, I think, where the analogy kind of came is, hey, recognize these talented individuals. Let them go do what they do best, take care of patients, and take care of all the details so all they have to do is show up and do their job. And I think that's kind of where it comes from.
0: So over those years, looking back, obviously, there's been a lot of changes in a lot of different ways. But what would you say the biggest changes that you've seen in the locums industry from those early years into the way things are now? I think, number one, and and
1: this has been talked about at a lot of conferences, whether it was uh, our conference the nalto npr annual or sia or APPR. the number one thing changed is number one you don't have to explain what it is to either providers and especially folks on on the hospital side um some people we make this joke a lot but local tennis what's local tennis and you know everyone now typically knows what locum tenants is they realize that it has to be or usually is a part of their annual staffing plan again, on the client or hospital side. So when I say clients, I refer to that side of the business. Um, And, you know, whereas once we were looked upon as this every now and then we have to use locum tenens and, you know, whereas now, especially folks on the hospital side have acknowledged that it's really more of a partnership now than it's ever been. Sure. Sure. I'm sure every hospital system would like to snap their fingers tomorrow and have no physician or provider vacancies, have 100 percent their own in-house folks working all the time. But due to supply and demand and the availability of labor, that's just the math just doesn't math up, you know, as they say. So we are here to help facilitate and get folks to where patient care is needed the most, because, you know, Jerry, your experience in the industry, I'm sure you would agree with this. It's not like the vast majority of locum tenants go to Beverly Hills or Miami Beach or places like that, right? We're talking, you know, rural areas. We're talking uh, folks that provide care for the IHS or in the VA system in um, places like that. So that's really where we make the most impact. But to answer your question and, and, you know, quickly, it's the aspect of how we're viewed by both providers Um, and hospital systems. And I think that, um, you know, doing a a better job educating folks, uh, particularly in that kind of blends a little bit with the Nalto side of things, but um, I think we're looked upon as partners more than we ever have been in the past. You
0: know, I read something recently where 70% of locum's usage is there because of a perm need driving it. And as these systems are competing with a lot of the big box retail The physician population is dwindling. A lot more providers now are just choosing the locum's lifestyle, right? I mean, the ability to, you know, go where you want, when you want, be in control, less bureaucracy, earn a little bit more money. I think all those things are contributing to a world where I I agree. I I don't see locums going anywhere. And I I think it's if it's something you're going to use, and I think statistically something like 85% of hospitals are using it, then it's just about how do you use it most effectively partnering with the right people. And, you know, obviously that's, you know, one of the things that Nelka helps to do. So in, in terms of the, the the market, if you would, what, what kind of things are you hearing out there? I mean, you know, you just had the conference recently. What are some of the buzzwords or just some themes that, you know, are sort of floating around out there in the, the Logan space?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that during the pandemic where some verticals saw substantial growth uh, due to everything going on with COVID uh, on the nursing side is probably the most well-documented. Locum tenens on the provider side uh, really took a hit uh, for a simple fact of elective procedures, you know, were suspended uh, as we know uh, as a precaution during the pandemic. Uh, and I, I think that that was probably the number one factor. Now, of course, infectious disease, pulmonology, internal medicine, uh, etc., those providers, uh, a lot of them were jumping on planes and going to the hot spot areas and really helped us as a nation come out of the pandemic. And I think what we saw when that started to subside uh was the available days and, and each agency kind of uses their own verbiage, but meaning the amount of demand um for those specialties that that really took a hit during that period of time has come roaring back. And you know, back in the day, and I I say this to my colleagues, is, you know, I I kind of cut my teeth in the industry doing anesthesiology, right? And when I used to come into work every day, we would be lucky if we had five to 10 jobs to fill, and we would spend time calling physicians. I didn't do CRNAs at that time, but, you know, we would call physicians and try to get them to upstate New York or Montana or California or where have you. Uh, But now our anesthesia department has 85 jobs. And that to me, thinking back to 23 year old me sitting down, I would have been blown away. Now, of course, the flip side of that is it's harder to find providers now because the labor pool has shrunk. And you alluded to this a short time ago, Jerry, but important to note that a FTE physician that's coming out of residency and fellowship is far different than one that came out, call it 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I think it's this way in a lot of professions, but in medicine, it's really interesting because uh you know the folks that used to come out would say i know i'm working 60 80 hours a week i know i'm taking call a lot of them went to these uh uh, communities where they were the one-stop shop right they were the family practice they delivered the babies in town they did everything they possibly could do unless they really needed to ship it out of town well now with specialization um there's a massive primary care shortage as you probably know about And part of that reason is nothing wrong with that. If you're a provider and you choose to go that route into this particular program, uh, residency, and later on into fellowship, if you choose to do that, that's fine. But it's kind of left a pretty gigantic void. And what ends up happening there, too, is if an FTE that's leaving was used to a certain workload and type of practice, and you're replacing it with something that's completely different, that number of shortage of providers is actually much larger than you realize when you just look at the raw data. So important to note there.
0: It's interesting. I've ever never actually looked at it like that, but it makes sense because a lot of the people that are getting out operated under a model that really is disappearing, and they're being replaced by people where you almost need to, because you've got to have a, you know, a hospitalist and a family medicine doctor to do what a family medicine doctor did 20 years ago. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and demographically, it's changed too. It's changed for the better, right? I mean, from a locum standpoint, you have folks that are retiring a little bit earlier, not all, but, but some, right? And, and there was an expectation back in the day that perhaps you would work longer if you were a physician in that one-stop shop provider in town. And, you know, you have we have more female physicians more than ever, which is great. Um, but you also have those folks that then go on maternity leave. And now we also have paternity leave. And these things that didn't really exist in the workplace as frequently, 10, 20, 30 years ago. So that, again, creates more demand and the labor pool shrinks even further just due to those demographics alone.
0: Yeah. One last thing before we get into talking about Nalto. Obviously, running a firm, recruiting is a crucial piece of that. And, you know, this podcast is primarily geared towards recruiters in-house and, you know, third party. Just in your experience, what would you say – are some key traits or characteristics what it takes to be an effective recruiter?
1: Yeah, and first and foremost, you have to join an organization uh, that has uh, you know a stellar learning and development team. And uh, obviously, I'm biased, uh, but we've spent a lot of time, money, resources, etc., and hired the best of the best in our minds to put people in the best position. Uh, now, some of it they have to bring on their own, right? You have to have a level of empathy. You have to have a level urgency, accountability, all the core values. But core values don't mean much. You can paint them on a wall, but you got to be able to hire on those and then teach the job effectively. So it's one thing at All up Healthcare Solutions that we've been very proud of. And, you know, we take people not only to teach the job itself and the nuts and bolts, but obviously the why behind the job. Because uh, I, while I do think all types of staffing have this, like, intrinsic value, and it makes you feel warm and fuzzy when you find someone a job. I think it's especially meaningful when it's a healthcare provider that you're putting into a role, into a facility that perhaps wouldn't have that provider. right? And uh, one thing to add to that is we often get emails, cards, correspondence from physicians themselves or providers themselves that are obviously thankful for the opportunities. Um, but really the most impactful come from the patients themselves. They're, they're in a facility, oftentimes traveling, right? They, for some reason, run into a medical issue. They arrive at a hospital, clinic, what have you, and they're treated by a provider that they don't realize isn't a full-time employee of that facility. They're a locum tenant provider. So um, when they hear about this later on and they want to thank that provider, well, what happened to Dr. Jones or Dr. Smith or whoever? And they say, well, they actually were were traveling physically. What's that? And they, again, because it's not well known in, in, in certain circles. So then they track down who the agency is and they send you a letter saying, Oh my God, I was in this accident. I was away from my hometown and this provider saved my life. And we had heard that you guys were um, the folks that helped facilitate that. And that makes it all the more meaningful. But I think when you have a great learning and development program, and you hire people based on culture and train the job, I think you're way ahead of the game, um, and those people really hit the ground running.
0: As a side note, are you guys currently hiring for any roles? And if so, if anybody out there is listening, interested, how should they get a hold of you?
1: Yes, uh, we are hiring. Uh, Certainly, you can look us up on our LinkedIn page. It's probably where our talent acquisition spends the most time these days. Uh, but if you look up All-Star Healthcare Solutions, we have great reviews on Glassdoor. We have all those things, and, and we're looking to attract talent nationwide uh, because a lot, as a lot of firms are, we have chosen to work in a hybrid model to kind of keep up with the times. So you do not have to live close to Boca Raton to join our family. So uh, that's one thing that's important to note as well.
0: Awesome. So talk to us a little about NALTO. H- how did you get involved in the organization and then, you know, obviously, climbing up the ladder to the top. Tell us a little about, you know, what made you want to take that challenge on? Yeah,
1: so um, also a little bit by accident. So it seems I owe a lot of this to, <laughs> to other people, which is how you get somewhere in life, like luck plays a factor. Uh, but I've been in the industry about a decade and um, I've had the i had the wonderful opportunity to be a part of two startups. Uh, and when I was getting close to the end of my first startup before I moved back to Florida, um, you know, I had been approached by some members of the boards, and I started working on committees. Uh, I would review um, potential ethics cases that maybe a member company or a physician uh, would put forth in Alto. Thankfully, not that many happen. Uh, I worked in the membership committee to uh, kind of validate new member applications that come in uh, and things like that. I worked on conferences, so I started on the committee level. Because when you're working in startups too, you're doing a little bit of everything, so your time is quite limited. You're always putting out a fire somewhere, right? And as All-Star began to really grow and and kind of get into that adolescent stage um, of a company's uh, evolution, um, you know, I I got approached to actually sit on the board and, and run And, of course, all kidding aside, I was like, you guys, you don't want me on that thing. (laughs) Um, But what what really got me passionate in in moving forward to it was I knew that there were whispers that NALTO needed to do some advocacy. Because what I alluded to earlier, Jerry, and this is one of the things I became passionate about when I joined the board and and later on the executive committee and now the president, is there's no – more, Malto needs to advocate for the industry as a whole, whether it's through legislation like we're trying to do, which we'll get into shortly. But, you know, you'd be amazed. I've I've spent some time on the Hill in D.C. advocating for local tenants. I've spent some time with folks at the AAPPR. Uh, I've traveled and spoken uh, at several conferences. And education is such a big part of it because, you know, again, it's better than it was 20 years ago in terms of, awareness of the industry, what it does, how it helps patients and, and such. But if you don't go and tell the story, um, you know, then then who's going to hear about it? So at the end of the day, uh, I was convinced by the current board members at that time to run. And then I got to give credit to a couple of the past presidents of, of NALTO, uh, John Daniel and uh, Stacey Stanley and Anna Anderson, and there were some others that uh, basically said, you know, Hey, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of the succession planning, and and I gave the same answer, Jerry. I gave to run the board. I go, be careful what you wish for, guys. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, I had support of, of the board, and um, yeah, I decided to serve in this capacity. And truthfully, my team at All Star allowed me the time to dedicate towards it because it is a ton yeah. of work.
0: Yeah. So you know, I'd always heard this number that. There's around 200 locum companies in existence, obviously, give or take. Every time I go to a trade show, I see a few names I've never seen before. Not everybody is a member of NALTO who's a firm. So two questions. Do you know what percent of organizations out there are a member? And then why should they become members? And I guess on the other side, why should hospitals work with companies that are members? So let's start on the facility and our hospital side. Working with a NALTO
1: firm, we are the only association that has a code of ethics um, and our member companies strive. If there is some kind of dispute between member companies, we get on the phone and we work it out, right? We even have a mediation committee that deals with things when it can't be worked out with a phone call. When you work with a non-member company, that's where like ugly things like lawsuits can happen. Not all of them, of course, uh, but we try to bring people into the fold to give the industry a good name, right? Because there are some staffing verticals and yes, some locum companies out there that are non-members that don't always do the right thing for everybody. Now, listen, we're all in business to you know we're in business to make a profit, and just like all any business. But by the same token. If I had a dime for every NALTO firm that going through some kind of process or potential dispute said, you know what, even though I'm walking away from a deal here, this is the right thing to do, and it matches up with the code of ethics. That's how we know what NALTO does works. So if I'm a facility, a healthcare facility, and I want to work with a firm that stands by that code of ethics, that's what I want. Now, to answer your questions about statistics, the 200 number I've heard that to um you know we get about two to three applications to join NALTO a month probably and uh, they go through a regular screening process and they're brought to the board of directors and sometimes we need to go back to them and say well you need to adjust this this and this um to fit our definition of what an lto or a local tenant organization would be um and you have to agree to the code of ethics and the standards of practice etc so um my best guess is the 200 number that you're using, and I've heard a lot, is also the physician group with three doctors that decide that they want to, you know, have a traveling group. And technically, you could argue that that's a locum tenant organization. Um, I would say the players that operate as true staffing firms is probably somewhere about 175. So not too far off from that. And NALTO has roughly about 100 members. So, okay. um and uh, the, with that growing all the time, the interesting part of that, though, is there's been some consolidation in the industry in particular the last five or 10 years. So some of the larger players gobble up the smaller and medium size. And yet, even with that, the industry and NALTO membership continues to grow. So I think that says
0: something. Yeah, be, before my current role, I started and ran a locums company for a decade, and it, it just made perfect sense to me. And you know, it's like, why would I not? join the organization for the space, right? I mean, yes. Is there a fee to do so? Of course. But if, if you're in business to operate and, you know, compete, how can you not be a part of really the only organization that that is there to do that? And, you know, we actually had a, a case or two over the decade where, you know, there was, you know, an issue with another firm and it, it was handled, right? Because the last thing any company ever wants to do is get the client involved in something like that. You know, so yeah. it's nice- and-
1: Sorry to touch you out here. One thing that's important too, especially if you're a newer firm, we have resources now that NALTO didn't have five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I'll just give a couple quick examples. Not only are we advocating for the industry from a federal and state level in terms of regulatory concerns, right? Which number one is, even if we did nothing else, that's a reason to join, right? But if you're a newer firm and you don't have a robust learning and development, uh, as an example, our education, committee puts on great webinars. So even if you don't have a full-time trainer, you literally can bring, let's say you only have 20 folks. You can bring them into a conference room and put it on the screen, and they will give locum specific training, sales training, leadership training, etc. If you've never, again, been through a malpractice case, if one of your providers unfortunately gets has a bad patient outcome, we have a list of things that this is what, no, though we don't give legal advice or tax advice formally, we have these, you know, kind of best procedures to follow and guidelines to follow. Yeah. And it's one of those things where for the small amount of money and time that you're spending by being a member, you're going to get back that investment 10, 20, 50 fold in, in, in our opinion. And that's why the number one concern of NALTO in this board is to give value to membership and then promote it and make sure that providers and hospitals and all these folks know the value of. With an
0: answer from. No, I completely agree. And I honestly wasn't even aware of a lot of the things you just mentioned. So I think somebody knew it, it to me it would be a no brainer to do that. Um, you know, obviously, especially with the important things you guys are doing, I know you kind of alluded to it earlier, but legislation. I mean, obviously, there's some big things right now going on in the space. And talk a little about what are, you know, the the biggest or maybe the, the top two sort of initiatives that are out there that you guys are you know, fighting for. Yeah. And of course, this, this conversation could take about seven hours,
1: but, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give the 30,000 foot view. Essentially, it all kind of started with AB5 a number of years ago out in California, where in the effort to employ folks, that, you know, workers in the gig economy, you know, mainly the Uber drivers, Lyft, Instacart, et cetera, the state really wanted those employees or sorry, those contractors to have bargaining power. And certainly we could have a separate discussion about that, but the effect or unintended effect of that law um, made it so it would make it more difficult to provide for healthcare providers to travel and perform services as an independent contractor. Now, California was smart enough to put in a carve out for physicians and surgeons. And allowed physicians to continue to travel as independent contractors. They did not do it for MPs, PAs, and CRNAs. And the reason that that's significant is two things. Number one, with the provider shortage, the use of MPs, PAs, and CRNAs, even when they operate somewhat independently, has grown a lot um, in, the, in the past five, 10, 15 years. The second part of that is what ended up happening later on. So what ended up happening later on is those folks that were working in California as MPs, PAs, and CRNAs as 1099s simply left the labor pool. In that state and went somewhere else, right? So, including some staffing firms who, as a whole, decided not to participate in staffing California for that reason. Then the PRO Act came about, and the PRO Act really modeled itself after the language of AB 5. So, NALTO became concerned is even with the carve out, it's going to affect the MPs, PAs, and CRNAs. But the original drafting, the PRO Act, and the original discussions didn't even have a carve out for physicians and surgeons. So it really was the impetus of the the kind of the fuse that needed to be lit to have our association really start advocating and educating members. uh, What I mean by members of Congress, um, uh, you know, even those that were pro pro act and trying to get Uber and Drift drivers, excuse me, employed. Um, What you don't want to do is get these folks some bargaining power. Let's say you're on the Democratic side and you're pro labor. But the consequence is now your hospitals in your area don't have enough coverage. I mean, again, it it just would not obviously be an ideal situation. So what we started to do was uh, we hired a a lobbying firm, McGuire Woods out of Washington, DC. We took part about, I'm gonna say four to eight calls a week. Uh, And the biggest surprise of those, Jerry, we're talking to these staffers and members that had no idea that local tens was, in, you know, were in their state helping patients, working in the VA system, working in IHS, and all these things. And yet, if you go to their web pages, they all talk about healthcare and healthcare delivery. They all talk about healthcare access. They talk about care for veterans. And really, once we started these conversations, it created some momentum. And we actually got uh, our, our bill introduced in the House uh, last year by Buddy Carter of Georgia. It was HR seven eight eight one the uh, Healthcare Provider Shortage minimization, minimization Act. And now, obviously, procedures, we have a new Congress that's come in. We need to get it reintroduced. Buddy Carter's is still on board. We're searching for a Senate champion now, and those conversations are ongoing. But really, the message is, just coming out of the pandemic, we now know how important it is for providers to move around without friction, right? And to be able to provide care where it's needed the most. Um, As JFK famously said, the best time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining, right? So right now, they're able to do that. Let's not change that. Let's permanently codify these folks into law so we know physicians, MPs, PAs, and CRNAs can continue to service the patient population where it is needed. That's all we're asking for. It's the easiest bill in the the world to read. It's two and a half pages long. (laughs) But, But... The conversations we've had have been very productive. We've gotten no no's, if you give the double negative. No one ever says, I think this is a horrible idea. They all think it's a great idea. We're just waiting for that point of critical mass that gets us over the hump where then everybody signs on or we piggyback another healthcare-related bill, which is also a possibility. So that's number one on the federal end. On the state end, due to what happened in the nurse staffing world, again, which is another podcast, Right. But um, a lot of states have tried to put regulation on um, staffing firms as a whole, in particular, healthcare staffing firms. Now, some are just addressing nursing. Some are just, uh, you know, and some are very vague um, and are requiring firms to do all kinds of things. And we're working with the ASA um, and they're doing a lot of the work and the heavy lifting on the state side. But we're monitoring that, too. So. What we're doing is two things. We're fighting, obviously, for our membership and the ability for us to continue to do the jobs that we do. But really, we're fighting for that patient right now that, as we're recording this, is one of the 60,000, let's say, physicians alone, never mind PAs, and CRNAs, that is treating a patient. And we want that to
0: continue. That is the key. Is that the number? Is that 60,000? That's kind of it's estimated about 60000 a year um, uh,
1: in terms of the physician side uh, are right. you know, practices locum tenants,
0: correct. So that's, well, maybe almost 7% of the market, something like that. What, about a million docs out there? Roughly. I don't know the yeah. exact
1: figure, but, I mean, and it, and it continues to grow. You alluded yeah. to the locum's lifestyle, Jerry, earlier. Um, you know, I think the full-time people that do locum's as their only position has grown over the years, we're really still the majority, maybe not the vast majority, but the majority are still the people that just out of residency or fellowship don't know where they wanna practice yet, don't know where they wanna live yet, or people that have pre substantial vacation time that wanna, excuse me, keep their skills sharp. Uh, and then probably most crucially, it's the people that are into retirement that don't want to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. They want to work 25, but they still want to stay. We want to encourage these people to stay in the labor pool. That's what we want. It's good for them, and it's good for the country. And it's good for, great for the patients.
0: Yeah. So outside of the you know legal challenges that we're facing out there, what do you think the future looks like for locums? I mean, you've got... A lot of big players coming in in terms of the Walmart, CVSs, you've got a physician shortage. So much is changing every day. There's new technology and AI being talked about with efficiencies and all the things that that can do. If you looked in your locum crystal ball five, 10 years from now, what do you think are the one or two things that are going to be most different than what we're seeing today?
1: Yeah, I'm going to steal this line from our president-elect, uh, Jaron Dana, that He says, and I love the quote. He goes, you know, technology will all, you know, I think it's, I'm going to butcher it here. He says, uh, you know, technology has a place in locums and it always will. Uh, There's always, you know, uh, in the past I've heard the, well, physicians will just get a job on an app and then show up. Uh, You know, very, very difficult to do. And I think it's oversimplifying the job that firms have to do to get all these things in place in terms of licensing, privileging, credentialing, never mind the travel, yeah. the, the payroll, um, and things like that. So, yes, technology has a place. Um, you know, I, I think that the use of VMS MSP um, kind of coming into the locums world after already being in nursing and IT and other verticals has been a change. I think you'll continue to see that for some clients. It, it, it's, a, it's a real time saver for some clients, for some clients not so much, but I think there's a place in the market for that. The growth, I know SIA estimated between, I think it's like 7% growth this year. The now firms I've talked to um, are growing at a rate much higher than that. I think due to that demand that was kind of lost during the pandemic, um, you know, the the future is bright, Jerry, uh, you know, in terms of the business itself, because as I alluded to earlier, almost every politician will talk about um, the increase in patient access everybody, it's a, it's a very hot topic. It will continue to be a hot topic and you can increase the access all you want, but you have to have the labor pool to back it up. Yeah. And that's NALTA wants to be a part of that solution. So, um, and, and all, all of our member firms, including mine, Allstar, you know, we, we want to be a part of that solution moving forward. But again, to short answer is I think we went through A little bit of dark times during the pandemic due to, again, to the electives being suspended. I think the locums industry has come out strong. Um, We're viewed as partners more than we ever have uh, by our healthcare facility partners, and I think that will continue.
0: Last question for you. What is something that you would recommend to the audience and why? Uh, Something I would recommend to the audience, you know,
1: when I have some spare time in in the car or what have you, uh, I love listening to to Scott Galloway. Uh, he's a professor at NYU Stern, and he not only talks about economics a lot, which is kind of his forte, but talks a lot about how healthcare meshes into it. Yeah, there's some stock things, and some readers write in with some questions, and there's a lot of things tech, uh, which also includes some discussions about healthcare delivery. Uh, but that's something that I listen to that kind of hits a number of different points. And it's not very, how should I say, partisan one way or the other. I think that uh, we've all gotten into a bad habit of listening or reading uh, things that just reinforce our own point of view. And I think uh, all of us would be best to perhaps look at something from the other perspective or if nothing else, try to get something in the middle somewhere so all perspectives
0: can be considered. I got to check him out. I've never, Scott Galloway, you said? Yeah. And he wrote a, a great book uh, called The Algebra of
1: Happiness. And if you would have asked me, Jerry, one book I wish I had read in my early 20s, that would have been it. Uh, and in part because it's it short and to the point. I think my attention span at, at 2022 20, probably wasn't what it is now. Uh, but if I, um, you know, if I would give, and I bought this book for some of our employees and, and uh, you know, friends and things like that. I think it's a great read. So uh, that's kind of where I got introduced to Professor Galloway and listened to his podcast. And I, I think it uh, would be valuable to your listeners.
0: Awesome. Uh, I'm going to check it out personally. Really appreciate you being on. Uh, I've learned a lot here. I hope the audience has as well. Um, obviously, there's a lot that you've got in front of you. So I hope you get a lot of coffee over there to continue the fight and, and do the good work for, you know, the organization and healthcare in general. So, again, really appreciate everything you, you're doing there. I will – you'll be at AAPPR, right? Uh Actually, NALTA will be
1: representing APPRA. I had a scheduling conflict in gotcha. – April, But we will be exhibiting. And okay. one more note, if I could, Jerry, is sure. it, whether you're in the locums industry or not, um, if you care about healthcare delivery in your area, I – encourage you to go to www.nalto.org/action and it basically has you put in your name and address it takes about 45 seconds literally uh and will let your member know that we want these 60,000 physicians and other you know providers to be able to travel and provide care when it's needed the best way we can get this across the finish line is everybody chipping in and, and getting together so Um, I would definitely encourage all of your listeners to do so.
0: I'm more than happy to put a post on the site as well. We're probably going to have 10,000 visitors, it looks like, for March. So if we can get some signatures on there, why not? So that's awesome. We would Um, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Of course. Appreciate you being on. And uh, hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Inside Physician Recruiting. Again, thank you to Matt for being on and sharing everything going on 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 that side of the ledger and